This is episode two of the Untethered podcast, and today's guest is Dr. Richard Baxter, a board-certified pediatric dentist and board-certified laser surgeon. He is a nationally recognized speaker on tongue ties and the author of the best-selling book, Tongue Tied, How a Tiny String Under the Tongue Impacts Nursing, Speech, Feeding, and More. He is passionate about educating parents and healthcare practitioners about the effects a tongue tie can have throughout the lifespan. He lives in Birmingham, Alabama with his wife, Tara, their five-year-old twin girls, Hannah and Noel, and infant Molly. He's the founder and owner of the Alabama Tongue Tie Center, where he uses a CO2 laser to release oral restrictions that are causing nursing, speech, dental, sleep, and feeding issues. He had a tongue tie himself, and all three of his girls were treated for tongue tie and lip tie at birth, so for him, this field is a personal one. In his free time, he enjoys spending time with his family and outdoor activities, and he serves as an elder at his church and is on the board of Reach the Rest, a global missions organization. Dr. Baxter also participates in many overseas dental mission trips. He's currently working on several research and educational projects related to tongue ties, and we had a phenomenal conversation, so I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Vulcan. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. First of all, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm getting it up and running and it's exciting to do this because I went to look for one and it didn't exist. So here we are. (laughs) I was like, we need a myofunctional talks, airway centric type of podcast. Excited to be here. Yeah. So thank you so much. I would love to know, you know, first off, I know I've read, um, I haven't finished the book yet. I'm reading it right now, actually, but I would love to know, and I know you speak about your family experience, the inspiration, your primary inspiration for writing the book and putting that information out there. So really, it was just the patients that we have. So obviously, had uh, twin girls uh, about five years ago now, and they had tongue ties, and I'd never heard of it before. And they didn't teach it to me in dental school or in pediatric residency. I only had two weeks left of residency, and we had our girls' lactation consultant told us that, "Hey, your kids have tongue ties." I said, "No, they don't." I mean, I'm almost a pediatric. I'll be a pediatric dentist in two weeks, so I should know that. And um, didn't know what I didn't know. And unfortunately, that seems to be an epidemic right now in medical, dental, speech, uh, lactation. It's just not taught, really. And so uh, we had so many parents coming in asking us, how have I never heard about this before? How is my doctor? How is my speech therapist? Or how is whoever, my dentist, never heard about this before? I said, that's a really good question. That's a problem. So I started writing a blog post. I started out on my phone. I was typing it at 3 in the morning. And um, we woke up quickly. probably from airway issues, but uh, couldn't sleep very well. And um, started typing it out and typing it out, and it got longer and longer and longer. And um, so it really started as like a ranting blog post. And I was like, okay, chapter one, chapter two. But it's still just an Evernote typing it on my phone. And then um, after that, uh, switched to Google Docs and then started typing more and uh, on the computer. But a lot of it was written at early hours of the morning because that's the only time I have free. Then it morphed into what it was. Originally, just a couple authors. And then we 
decided to make it more multidisciplinary, add as many as we could there. It made sense and kind of compiled it into into a book. I love it. I love it. I've always said that's the best way to answer client questions is when I feel like I've spent a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. on, you know, answering a question, it's great to turn it into a blog post. And I, I never even thought about pulling that into a, a book, but yeah, you can just digest it. I mean, and take it, like highlight in it, and it has more weight to it than like a paper. So if you're trying to educate your pediatrician, you know, it works better for hitting them over the head um, than just like a couple articles. No, no disrespect to pediatricians out there. The ones listening to this podcast are more informed than your average, uh, at least the ones we have around here. But um, the main thing is too, like it's conversational, so it's helpful. Like even a provider, like I don't want to sit down and read a bunch of scientific articles like for fun. That's not for research purposes. Sure. But like, it's not very enjoyable sometimes. Like this is written in uh, easy to read conversational. So for parents or providers, whoever they are, uh, it's digestible. That makes sense. And I, I love it. I think it is actually a very easy read, especially for, you know, when I was getting into all of this myself, I was that speech pathologist who did feeding therapy, but was not looking for tongue ties. And I was even told as a mom who nursed through 13 months of pain early on with my first one that she didn't have a tie. We went to lactation and yep. they said, Oh, she's fine. And it's, it's, I always joke. It's like when you take your car to the shop and of course she nursed well, we were in front of the lactation consultant, but then at home it was just not, yeah. you know, feeds around the clock was exhausting for 13 months. So I'm like, wait, when you know better, you do better. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> what I know now, <laughs> it was much easier with my second. It's okay. You do the best you can. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so then as far as what you've seen um, in terms of helping your patients and, you know, when it comes to nursing solids, you know, issues beyond even infancy into, you know, the seeing what you see with pediatrics and into adulthood, you know, what are you seeing as being some of the big indicators that people either should look for or that you see commonly in your practice that kind of scream tongue tie or look yeah, yeah. under the tongue? No, that's for sure. So we kind of look at several different domains. So like speech, feeding, so solid feeding, um, past issues as a baby, sleep, and then other issues. So there's five different domains we look at. Um, and the crazy thing with tongue tie is or a tongue restriction, really, because it's more of a spectrum of restriction. It's not like, uh, they used to just think it's a string to the tip. That's what most people think of when they say tongue tie. Actually, most lay people think of like, difficulty speaking, uh, like you get like a tongue twist or you get a trip over your words. It's like, oh, he got tongue tied. Um, so most people think of it like that. But uh, really, it's... Um, it encompasses so much more than just like speech or like just, Oh yeah, he can't stick his tongue out or like French kissing or something like that. Um, or licking an ice cream cone is it's written in the literature a lot. Um, so for speech, it'd be like frustration with communication. Um, other people have a hard time understanding them. Uh, parents do not accurately report speech symptoms. Um, as you know, it's like, Oh, any speech problems? No, he's fine. Then like, I can't understand him at all. when he's like six. Yeah. Uh, even speech delay, which uh, historically has been not linked to tongue ties, but there's no evidence saying that, like to back that up. But we're seeing the exact opposite. We see like crazy results with little girl. I mean, just this morning had a kid come back like, oh my gosh, she's talking so much more. Um, if they're not talking yet, they babble more uh, just because they can move their tongue easier. It makes sense. If your mouth is zippered shut, are you going to have a problem with speech? Like a physical problem is going to cause an issue uh, with speech. Uh, mumbling or speaking softly because they have to um, hold their tongue down. They can't make the loud noises. And then um, for adults, I did an adult this morning too. He was 52 years old and had a tongue tie. He didn't even know it. He was at dinner with me last night. So don't go to dinner with me. You might end up getting your tongue fixed the next morning. Um, <laughs> we were just talking about it. And um, it was a group of us and uh, just looking at everyone's tongues. And um, yeah, he was like to the tip almost. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
have you made it this far in life, 52. right? 52, <laughs> he's been in the dentist. He had lots of dental work done and no one has picked it up. It's just crazy. But see, the thing is, he's fine. Like, he's led a good life. He has kids. You know, he has a wife. Like, it's not prevented him or limited him in many ways. Um, he's learned several of the languages. And he's like, oh, is that why I had a hard time saying ours? I'm like, probably so. Um, but he didn't know it. So that's the problem. A lot of pediatricians around here say, oh, they'll be fine. Like, yes, they'll be fine. Like, they'll live. But like, we want them to thrive and have the best chance of normal development for speech, feeding, sleep, and other things. So that's speech. Um, feeding would be frustration with eating again. Um, like the parents can't go out to meals um, because it's such a, a game changer. It's such a struggle to feed their child. They can't eat out. Um, trouble transitioning to solid foods, so like choking, gagging, spitting out foods, uh, slow eating. Often they'll graze on food throughout the day because they never finish a meal. Uh, packing food in their cheeks like a chipmunk. Um, that's not normal. Uh, picky with textures and especially meat and mashed potatoes. It's like always meat and mashed potatoes. Not always, but... Well, the meat I get a lot. The mashed potatoes. Interesting. I'll have to ask about yeah, that one. Ask about mashed potatoes. Often they can't like just form a bolus right and they can't... Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's, that's feeding. Um, sleep would be a like restless sleep. And again, the parents are like, oh, yeah, he sleeps great. He goes in his room. He doesn't bother me. He, he, do you have a monitor on him? No. Like, so they don't really know how he's sleeping then. I get that a lot, yeah. So, like, they move around a lot. They uh, wake up tired, not refreshed. They have dark circles under their eyes. They grind their teeth. Oh, isn't that normal? No, it's common, but not normal. Um, they snore. Oh, that's normal, too. No, that's a red flag, Mom. Um, snoring is bad. Uh, gasping for air is really bad. All those things uh, can be related to tongue ties. Um, we used to think it's just uh, related to tonsils and adenoids getting large, but now we know if the tongue is held down, it'll fall back and narrow or cut off the airway, and then that will cause an uh, airway issue, meaning they cannot um, breathe as easily, increases airway resistance, and then they have a lower oxygen. That goes to the brain, tells the brain, hey, wake up, dummy, or you know, if you keep sleeping, you're going to die. So they wake up little bits all night long with interrupted sleep, and they never get that deep restorative sleep. And that leads yeah. to poor mood, aggressive behavior. It can also lead to ADHD symptoms. And I say mm-hmm. symptoms because a lot of the ADHD is misdiagnosed sleep problems. And I, I've never, I've yet to meet a kid on Ritalin or Focalin or another stimulant. And I say, hey, um, did they do a sleep study on him? Or did they ask you about his sleep? Never, not a single time has the mom said yes. Never asked him or psychologist whoever recommended the Ritalin. Never once asked him about the kid's sleep. Kid comes in the dark circles. No, of course he's sleeping poorly because he's eating speed. Um, so then you can quantity and knock him back down. So it's just, it's just a mess. That was me. Yeah. So common. Um, yeah. uh, for adults, uh, you have neck tension, shoulder pain, um, TMJ pain, clicking or popping, headaches, migraines, um, mouth breathing. And then they'll have a history of like, oh, yeah, I was in speech as a kid. Or, oh, yeah. And then the sleep stuff, too, of course, for adults. But again, adults, it gets complicated because you just can't release the tongue. They sleep better a little bit, but like there's so much more going on there um, from my functional yeah. perspective. They need a lot more therapy than like a one-year-old or two-year-old. Like sometimes you just release the tongue. It goes where it's supposed to mm-hmm. and, and they figure it out. Um, often they still need therapy, but sometimes like the young ones, um, yeah. it's pretty cool. So anyway, that's my favorite age right now is like the one to three-year-olds that no one else will treat because they think, oh, mm-hmm. like they can't do the stretches right. And like, oh, they're going to bite you. Uh, we don't put them to sleep. We do it. It takes 10 seconds and then they have crazy results. So that's awesome. Yeah. I actually released. So we released my daughter first and she was two. She had just turned two. 
And um, when her release was done, you know, I, I did the exercises to the best of my ability, but it really made me as a myofunctional therapist kind of go like, okay, we got to get creative here because yeah, she's going to bite me, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to, you know, put her sleep and her development at risk by delaying this when I know what I know now. It can cause sleep, <laughs> uh, speech delay, the anesthetics, the inhalation on the space to put them to sleep. I mean, we don't, we still don't know all the effects on the developing brain of those. So yeah, well, there's that. And there's also, I've learned just through some other crunchy uh, providers that I, <laughs> I say we, we call each other crunchy, yeah. um, more holistic providers. Yeah. I should say yeah. that also with certain genetics, you also don't know how the body always responds to the anesthesia and if it's able to, you know, get those toxins out of the body yeah. and how that then, you know, affects development and so on and so forth. But it's, you know, we, she did okay with all of it. We didn't do general, we did local. Um, and it was cool to see her tongue. Like you said, hers happened to go up. Um, she's, I'm watching her now and it seems like she might need some myofunctional therapy. Still her speech is phenomenal, but she is that picky eater who yeah. can only manage certain textures. And it's, you know, we, I'm, she's about to turn four. So we're going to throw her into some myofunctional therapy, yeah. but, and she's actually going into an ALF as well. Yeah. We just had her in and so that's a whole other story be, for another day but if it has to be done again when they're like five or something like that then you know it, it's a quick procedure it's not a big deal but i'd much rather yeah. do it and try it when they're 18 months old or two than wait till they're five and they've missed all that development and then sleep too i mean by the age five yeah. their brain is 90 percent developed oh, yeah. um, the size of an adult brain so it can make a big difference for them. Uh, sleep can. So that's my most important. Like even if they're like speech delayed, you know, like if we didn't get the results we wanted in speech, but like the sleep is like uh, so much better. Like mom this morning said, it was literally this morning, not taking this up. It's like he's sleeping. It's insane the difference, how much better it is. Um, it's so cool. like a two-year-old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've seen that. I've seen those improvements. I also, I had a kid who had an anterior, you know, heart-shaped tongue tie. And he, within 30 days, had added 50 new foods to his diet. And mom was like, this is amazing. And he kind of joked that his tongue was like in tongue jail before. And like, he couldn't get, you know, he's like, I can't move it. It's just stuck down there. And he was eight years old. So he was very cognizant of what was going on. But it's so cool to see some of the the results you get. And yes, you know, the older they are, you have to put in a little bit more work sometimes to get them there. But I think that's really cool that you're you know, you love working with the little ones because I know some people are hesitant yes. to work with them. And, yes. um, you know, the provider that I referred to, I know he does a lot of work with the younger kiddos and he also does it locally. It's yeah. not, it's not general oh and we get great results. We do way worse to a kid for a cavity. We're trying to fill a cavity on a two-year-old. That's way harder than doing a tongue tie. Like it's literally, it's probably five minutes to fix a cavity on a two or three-year-old. And that's difficult versus this. It's like 20 seconds. If you're using a CO2 laser, you're using it totally yeah. I understand completely because it takes about a minute or a minute and a half and it's quite mm-hmm. harder. And so the, the tool used makes a big difference too. Um, but like the one I was talking about, the insane sleep results uh, from this point, mm-hmm. um, that was a posterior tie that looked like there was nothing there. There's so many mm-hmm. kids that look like that, like on high oh, yeah. visits that looks like there's nothing there. And like our autistic kids we've had that are nine, 10 years old that start talking afterward that were nonverbal. Mm-hmm. They're nonverbal mm-hmm. for nine or 10 years. They start talking. It looks like there's nothing there. That's what's so hard. So we looked at all the symptom-wise. So symptom-wise, it's like, boom, boom, boom. They have like 30 check marks on our form. Was it, hey, mom, mm-hmm. not a guarantee, but let's give it a try and see what happens. And often we have some really good results with that. So I think that's, well, two things. So first one, I think that's really cool that what you, you know, the comparison, because I'm not a dentist. So obviously that's not my wheelhouse. But to compare a tongue tie release as being almost a simpler procedure for someone who's it skilled is. in it and using the right tool versus 
fill, you know, filling a cavity or fixing a cavity. For minimal benefit. I, mean, I think I mean, that most parents would never question if you said, Hey, your child has a cavity, let we need to fix this. You know, they're going to go, Oh, okay, let's, let's fix the cavity. Whereas, you know, we go, Hey, your child has a tongue tie. And now they run over to the Facebook groups and talk to like the 5,000 people who are diagnosing each other's children, (laughs) instead of listening to the providers who are skilled in this and doing it every day. And they're very fearful of it. And I I know there's a lot of hype around it right now, but that's why that's partially why I wanted to bring this to the masses. Well, you know, I always say my target with this is more so some of the um, professionals in the space because yeah. I feel like they need, need education there as well. I'm hoping that some of these episodes will be great for parents too, because, you know, I want to normalize it in a sense that it's not something that we should fear. It's something we should be excited about, you yeah. know, and hopeful for, because we're seeing such great results with people like these that are, who are skilled. Yeah. And it can be done wrong. Like this is literally all from today. So this is a hygiene check I just did. We did her a year ago. Hers was clipped incorrectly. They cut right, right through the salivary glands. So she had like four, oh, I've actually seen that too. Like four yeah. salivary glands. It was just like cutting a bangled mess down there. And it still wasn't better. So I was at two days old in the hospital. They did it. No magnification, no illumination, no lights. Just cut it. And, you know, it didn't make a difference for mom, of course. And this massive uh, lip tie. It was just oh. so big. So they came to us at two weeks old. We did it. Immediate difference. And then people were like, oh, well, it makes a difference for a couple weeks. And then it doesn't work. That's BS. So we did uh, exercises with them. We saw them back at a week. We did it, make sure it looks good at a week. We did a deep, deeper stretch if it needed it, which I think that one did. Came back again. Now she's 17 months old. So it was a year and five months ago. And um, she is like rock star. She sleeps well. She's talking well. She's eating perfectly. She breastfed for like 13 or 14 months. Um, no mm-hmm. problems. And her yeah. salivary glands actually look okay. So even if you take a wow. mess down there, like... She's fine. She's salivating normally. Like maybe because she was so young, she got lucky. Right? We, I've seen that happen yes, on an adult provider who should not have been doing it and yeah, it didn't turn out so well. Yeah. But that's why we really, you know, I tell my families that come to me, my, my patients, my clients, I call them, it really matters who you go to. You yeah. need to go to a skilled provider who does these on a regular basis, not just, you know, and it's not to, to diss or to say anything negative about other providers who have lasers in their office and who do laser procedures. But I have found consistently good results with certain providers. Mm. You know, I have my top three in my area that I refer to. And if you want to go outside of that, by all means, that's, that's on you. You know, I'm like, insurance. I insurance. So like, oh, insurance doesn't cover this one or that one. Or, and we build it with medical insurance. We had, we built it with dental insurance for about two years, three years. And it was just a mess. And because dental insurance would say they covered it, but then they say, oh, never mind, this is medical. And then they would mm. deny it or they come back and ask for the money back and stuff. And it's just a big mess. So. So are you having success yeah. with that? Yeah, it seems to work better. Oh, yeah. Most people get something back. Um, we don't know what, it, okay. because a lot of people have high deductible yeah. plans. The deductible yeah. might be $5,000, and then the procedure is way less than that. So uh, right. much, much less than that. So anyway, a tenth of that. But uh, who you go to matters. Um, most of the time, a clip or snip is insufficient. Uh, I'm not saying lasers mm-hmm. are bad versus a laser is good. You can start and do it wrong with a laser. That's very easy to do. So just owning yeah. a laser does not make you proficient and competent. On, on the whole, if it's just snipped, one snip or something like that, it's not going to be enough. If you're using scissors, it's probably closer to like five cuts, um, even even for a small one, if, uh, if they're doing it properly. Five small little cuts to make, get that nice diamond shape that lays flat to get all the fascia. Um, there was a new article that came out uh, a couple weeks ago. You might have seen it um, where they uh, dissected uh, the lingual freedom. Um, it was in South Africa, I think, and then some Australian people published the article. But they actually quoted me incorrectly saying that Baxter thinks it's a string 
and Gahari thinks it's a sail, like a sailboat. It's called a metaphor, people. Uh, <laughs> it's used to help other people understand what you're saying. Uh, I am fully aware it's a thick webbing of fascia under there. Um, I dissect through it every day, and I can see perfectly what it is because there's no blood in my field 99% of the time. And so it's not. there's no sailboat hiding there. There's not like a physical string under there. Um, that's just what we say for parents to help understand it. But um, yeah. anyway, if you don't get... Yeah, like I call it a get your guitar string. So yes. parents or kids yeah, don't find it. You know? I'm like, look at your guitar yeah, string under your tongue. That's what the article quoted me saying. Baxter thinks it's a string under there. And Gehari thinks it's a sailboat. And someone else thinks it's a thick band or something like that. And it's like, no, that's not... You're missing the point here. We know it's fascia. It's connective tissue. But it, the key is if you don't get that, then it's not going to work. So we're not cutting muscle in kids. Uh, we're not cutting muscle in babies. Adults, that's a different story. There's a different technique for that. Um, but Dr. Zaghi teaches the functional frenuloplasty technique. But um, for kids, 99% of the time, we're not getting any muscle at all. But you have to get down to the muscle to make sure you've gotten through all the fascia. So that's the point. Right. So like if they have a posterior tie then, are you yes. finding that you're going a little deeper or you're still doing, it's still fascia no, with just, the just kids? just in the fascia, but like if the anterior ties have a posterior part too, as Dr. Gahir would yep. say. So you got to make sure you get all that depending, it, whatever tie it is, make sure you get all that. So basically I go down to the muscle and don't touch the muscle, but I get everything above it. And then I um, have a nice diamond shape that lays flat uh, without tension. And then we've been suturing up some of the older kids, like that adult this morning, I sutured him up. Younger kids, I'm not. Um, it seems like you have to do less of a deeper stretch at a week if it has sutures. So if the kid's like 15 or something, I'd probably do it. Um, but a two-year-old, it would not, not be possible uh, unless they're asleep. And then it's not worth putting them to sleep, just do sutures. So mm-hmm. uh, that's my thought on sutures. But um, yeah, it can make a big difference for sure. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, and, and going way, way back to what we were talking about before, I totally resonate with the whole sleep ADHD thing because that was me. I always got great grades. I went to college. I totally struggled my first year in classes on tests. And basically that's how I was. I was never a, um, I was always an anxious test taker. And, you know, and probably it was because I wasn't sleeping well to start with, but I uh, was tested. They put me on Ritalin. I hated it. And I was like, how did I get through 19 years of my life without needing this stuff and got great grades. And, you know, I think it just got to the point where, you know, it kind of hit me. And as I was more of an adult now and things were harder and I don't know, but when all was said and done, I was on Ritalin through my college career and most of grad school, and it helped me. I hated the medication, and so I can really resonate with the kids and how yeah. they feel on these meds, but also now yeah. as an adult who had the tongue tie released a little over a year ago and who was wearing the, day night, the DNA appliance you know, at night um, to do adult expansion, I'm sleeping better. I feel different. It's, I mean, it's amazing. That, I'm yeah. totally night and day. So, you know, it's, it's cool to be on the patient side of things as well as on, you know, the, the provider side of things. That's one of the big messages too, that I really want to get out there to parents. If your child has been diagnosed with ADHD, you know, have these other questions been asked about sleep and everything else leading up to why they may be having these behaviors. Yes. And there's a new article just came out. I'm trying to find it here. Um, basically it talks about how in the past they thought that ADD was related to sleep problems in about half the kids. So they're like, okay, half the time, yes, there's like an association there, but it's not really like that big of a deal. Oh, here it is. But then now this new article, it said 93% of the kids had, so 28 out of 30 ADHD patients had a sleep disorder of some kind. Hmm. For that article, uh, so it's Miano uh, 2018. Um, it was crazy. So like most articles, like I said, it's 25 to 50% 
was there sleep problems in ADHD kids. But now they're saying, no, no, if you actually look at all the different sleep problems there could be, like 93% of them have some kind of sleep problem. Wow. We're doing a study right now in our office where all we're doing is releasing them, having to do exercises afterward. And we're seeing some crazy results with the pediatric sleep questionnaire. So it's a validated mm-hmm. sleep questionnaire that's associated with OSA and sleep sort of breathing. And um, they'll have like 10 or 12 yeses on the thing. So it's like they have like mm-hmm. bad sleep. Wow. Later, they'll go down to one or two or zero. And it's not just one kid. It's a lot of kids. And we're doing this prospectively too. So we have about 50 kids in the study already. We're using a brief infant sleep questionnaire uh, for the kids younger than 29 months, but um, it can make a, a big difference um, in sleep quality. Even the first night, most of the parents are saying like, oh my gosh, I had to go in and check on him. I thought he was dead. He wasn't, <laughs> long, breathing. He wasn't yeah. uh, moving around a lot and they didn't come wake me up three times. Like the parent will wake up at eight in the morning. Like, what happened? Like, is he no running there thinking he's dead and he's just sleeping soundly for the first time in his life. And all we did was like release the tongue. It's, it's that quick. But then without therapy, it's not going to last. So you got to make sure they do therapy too in a lot of the kids. But some of the one-year-olds, two-year-olds, as long as they're stretching and keep it open um, and it looks good. And then we, at the key is at a week, we got to check it again and make sure it's lifted up. And because most people don't want to push hard. They don't, no one wants to hurt their kid, obviously. And I, I, I just did my daughter uh, four months ago. She was a baby, but she gave me the look like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing to me? Why would you do this to protect me when I'm doing the stretches? So it was terrible, but. So I, I definitely get it, um, but we, we want to do it once per lifetime. That's it. We we don't want to have to do it twice or three times or four. It's probably the most we've done. Yeah. And do you have people who come to you who've been pre- like released previously who oh, yeah. basically need to be corrected? Yeah. Is that pretty common? We had some from Texas uh, that have been done twice before uh, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. We had some from Georgia that have been done three times before. Some from uh, wow. Florida that have been done a couple. Yeah. So. Mm. one from Mexico that came up uh, a month ago. They've been done uh, before and it's grown back together. So just like you make a cut on your hand, it's going to heal back together. So the parents really have to get in there, but then the kids fight. And so um, it's mm-hmm. still worth it though. Even if they think they're going to fight, just do your best. You're not going to cause an aversion really. I know there's always that theoretical possibility, but we've never seen like a true aversion happen. Uh, you know, I haven't seen any aversions created from this now that I've been doing it for several years. Um, and it's funny because somebody recently coined me as the tongue tie lady, like another speech pathologist. Okay. We just send you all the kids who think have tongue ties because you're the tongue tie lady. And I was like, oh, that's okay. Whatever. whatever. Um, I'll take it. Um, but, you know, these families are coming. I'm basically ruling and ruling out the functional impact of what I'm seeing under the tongue yeah. and then referring them on if needed. And I have... I have not seen any aversion created from yeah. the tongue tie release and the post-op stretches, especially because if we're, we have any concern or if there's anything sensory going on, we'll do some post-op or pre-op, you know, yeah. before going in there just to get them That's ready awesome. and what we're going to do. And, you know, some kids need a week or two and others might need four weeks. Right. And I've even had adults who have done six weeks of pre-op yeah. because they're so tense everywhere that they need to relax first. So mm-hmm. it's very individualized, yeah, but I have I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen aversions to feeding improve yeah. stop once their tongue can move around. So I've, I think I've seen this improvement in aversions that were already in existence. Yeah, they're just trying to protect themselves. They know they're going to choke a oh. gag on it. So they're smart. They know, like, I cannot eat that. Don't try to put that in my mouth. Yeah, and another interesting really thing is with yeah. the shy kids, so many of these kids, um, not the three-year-olds as much, but, like, once they start getting four, five, six, like, they realize that every time they talk, people can't understand them. And so then this, people say, what would you say? What'd you say? Mm-hmm. What'd you, after a while, just just repeating themselves. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even going to bother talking. So mom's like, oh, he's really shy. 
And then so we had one, again, this was last week, came back, we did it a year or two ago, I think two years ago. I said, oh, how's this telling dad? He's like, oh my gosh, it changed his life. I said, really? He said, tell me about it. He said, he was so shy before. He wouldn't talk to anyone. He wouldn't make friends. He's probably eight now. So he was, I like guess, seven or sorry, six before. And um, so in first grade. And now he's like Mr. Popularity and like outgoing and like it's totally different because people understand him. He can communicate now. And he said like it made a huge difference. He did some speech therapy, of course, too. But like the tongue tie was kind of like the key that unlocked it for him because they hadn't picked it up before. And his was not bad. It was medium appearance. Um, I've looked at the spectrum of restrictedness. Mm-hmm. So he didn't look terrible, but you know he had all the symptoms. So symptoms yeah. and function over appearance. And then, yeah, um, yeah it, make sure it's done right and then follow up right and exercises right. And it'll work 90 something percent of the time. Not every time. Yeah. We've had a couple. Of yeah. Like, no, we didn't work. We had nothing. This morning we had one that was like, eh, at a week it was better. And then now like it was for feeding. He had a G tube. He was inpatient, but like he had an almost to the tip tongue tie that they did not pick up. So wow. I, I talked to them at the intensive feeding program. They did not really appreciate that very much, but um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's not new news. <laughs> like, hey, you're an inpatient for like several weeks and then like had a feeding tube for like a month or two and um, headed to the tip almost tongue tie. They don't take on to that, but they just need to pay for yeah. it and then I won't say anything. Yeah, no, I, I get those calls also. I've, I've gotten those, but I've also gotten the ones where like, hey, um, so I have a four-month-old or a five-month-old or a six-month-old and we're we're about six weeks out from having a G-tube put in. Um, do you think you can help us? No. <laughs> I'm like, I'm booking yeah, a month out right now. Let me see if I can squeeze you in. Yes, it's the Hail Mary. <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, You're our last oh, hope. Yeah. Come on in. Let's see what we can do. And thankfully, you know, I, and this is more recently that that, um, Georgetown hospital and some of the hospitals around have been like referring to me, but you know, so I haven't had a ton of these, but it seems like we've had pretty good success in releasing some of these kiddos who had the tongue ties and keeping them off tubes. But you know, it's like, where are we in the first five, six months of their life? You know, why should we have done this sooner? (laughs) How much does it cost to keep them inpatient for two weeks and the 12 ER visits because they keep pulling out the feeding tube. Like that's what mom this morning said. Like these are all today. This is what we saw just today. Like she said, oh, he was in the ER 12 times because of his feeding tube. You had a busy that's morning. Every day. <laughs> that's every day. That's what we do. Um, I know, right? Crazy stories. It's, it's, I could write up every kid as a case report almost. I believe it. But hey, at least you're making some good moves and the fun. people who are coming to you for help and you're, you're changing lives. And that's, that's exciting. It's okay, like the starfish story, you know. One at a time. <laughs> Try to help them all, but you know, it's okay. Well, I know that we have a, you said there's a free PDF download on the website with some chapters um, yeah. from the books. Yeah. Definitely put that in the show notes so that people can access that through your website. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll uh, link to some of these articles um, in, in the show notes as well so that people can reference the studies that we, you know, we talked about briefly as well as the PSQ because I, I use that and I think that's also a really great um, tool for people to to give yes. if they're not familiar with yeah. that, that questionnaire. Yeah, the group download, um, it has um, the first, I can't remember how many chapters it is, uh, but it goes to the babies, it goes to the first a couple chapters, so, and it's free, awesome. and then um, it's on our website, tongtieal.com, and then if you go to the yeah. professionals tab, if there's, we have all the forms that we use on there. That's awesome. I know people would love to probably review those intake forms, those questionnaires that you've created. Well, Word documents, so you can customize them and use them however you want, so. Amazing. Very cool. We will share all of that. Is there anything else that you would like to share or anything we didn't I cover? I could talk all day on tongue ties. I know. <laughs> when it comes to tongue ties and changing lives, <laughs> telling you, yeah, it's, it's my passion. I love it. Under promise uh, and then over deliver is the idea. 
because um, you know you never know what changes we're going to get. We might get feeding and sleep, but not speech. We might get speech and sleep, but not feeding, or vice versa. Um, but almost always get something. Yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah. enjoyable. It's more fun and more rewarding than just doing a filling. Um, it doesn't pay any better than doing dentistry. It pays a little bit worse actually well, than dentistry. And that, uh, but and that's fun. actually the thing. That's like the misconception that people out there are saying right now is, you know, oh, they just want to take your money, so they're referring everybody for tongue tie no. releases and da 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 da. And I'm going. You know, I know some people are private pay and are not running it through insurance yeah. and they're just giving you a super bill to submit yourself and it's kind of hit or miss as to who gets reimbursement and who doesn't. But I'm like, no, we're, we're changing people's lives because if you can't, you can't breathe, you're dead, right? Yeah. I know you said that What's earlier. Though, like for good sleep, like I would pay anything for my, my kids. They're not <laughs> waking up tw- two or three times at night to sleep better. Like, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it can make a big difference. I, mean, I just bought an air purifier for my daughter's room because she has terrible allergies and stuff that probably that costs more than a tongue tie release, you know. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you do you do whatever you can for your kids? I I get that, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it it really doesn't pay. Like dentistry is lucrative as is, so like we make more money doing dentistry than tongue ties. Right, right. Just to try to replace yeah. the time that we're spending because we spend a long time with each patient too. I mean, if you're trying to do 20, 30 in a day, that's crazy. We do, oh, no, we do no. six to 10 a day if we're only doing tongue ties. Um, so yeah. we spend a good you know, hour um, with each patient, like talking with them, going over it, doing the procedure, the aftercare. They're in the office about an hour, hour and a half normally. So That's awesome. Um, and then do you have like a team of providers that you typically refer out to or a list yes, of providers that you say, you know, we recommend you do yes, a functional do assessment things. first and then we do, you know. Yeah. And so it's hard because we try to as much as possible, yeah. like, where you are, you might have more access to this. So we have like one myofunctional therapist in the whole state. Um, okay. And she's at our office and she has a waiting oh. list because like, there's so many people that need her services. Um, mm-hmm. So her name's Lauren. She co-wrote the book with us, uh, Lauren Hughes. Okay. And, um, yeah. So she's, she's great. So we collaborate a lot with her. I bounce ideas off her. Um, and so we, we do the best we can with a lot of those things. Most of them have been in speech therapy for a while or they have a speech therapist mm-hmm. currently. So mm-hmm. We'll send letters and, um, we send letters to pediatricians afterward. We try to leave them out of the loop. Lactation consultants, uh, we work with like most area hospitals and stuff like that. So we get referrals from them, uh, just depending on the mood. <laughs> and a lot of them now, they're told that they can't refer to us or they can't even tell the patient they have a tongue tie or else they'll get fired. Really? So, yeah, I mean, that's, and this is in the hospitals you're seeing hospitals, that? Hospitals, uh-huh. Um, yeah, those gag orders are a real thing. Yeah, I'm telling is, you. yeah. no, they, they told me, that. I was like, what happened? Like, you know, I haven't heard from you guys or like we've, we've no, we used to get like three or four patients a week probably from one hospital and then we got zero for like months yeah. and I was like, oh, whatever. It's probably just, I don't know, stop doing it. And then um, I called them one day. I was like, hey, like just make sure everything is okay. Are y'all still there? Like still lactation department there? And they're like, oh yeah, no, like we, we can't um, tell anyone they have a tongue tie anymore. That's what our administrators told us. I was like, okay, so the kids like fingers are stuck together. Do you have to tell the parents that, like that's normal too? Like, <laughs> Web fingers is a new thing. <laughs> meanwhile, I'm like, we don't get kickbacks. We don't like pay the like, just to click. Right. Like, there's no. It's like, hey, like if you get clipped here at the hospital, it won't work because we had to fix them all that were clipped before. So they would just like say, like, hey, just Google tongue tie in Alabama, and then we pop up. But it can make a big difference. And the, for babies, I compare it to. So older kids, we're talking about like a filling for babies. Like, look at circumcision, right? Circumcision mm-hmm. takes ten or fifteen minutes. This right. ten or fifteen seconds. Right. For a very arguably very little benefit, no benefit in the present time, possible benefit later, but there's no like runs for penile cancer. Like right. Right. it happens to old homeless men that don't clean themselves. Like let's just be honest. So, and then UTI thing, that's like overblown too. 
Um, so we do that to all the boys in this country, most of them. Yeah. Um, the yeah. only reason we do it is for parental preference because most people aren't Orthodox too. We're not doing it for religious reasons. So if you look at that, and those hands have to be redone. So I'm doing dental rehabs. We're fixing kids, you know, 15 teeth on a kid that's three. I can't do that in the office. So we'll put a kid to sleep for that. And next door to me, there's a urologist in the OR, and he's all day, he's fixing circumcisions that went wrong. Um, oh, gosh. So it happens all the time, and no one talks about that. Meanwhile, this is, and, you know, this is a 10 or 15 second procedure. We're only doing it for documented feeding problems and uh, reflux and all these other issues in babies that are significant. And you also get uh, improvement with speech outcomes later on. So, I mean, it just makes sense. Solid feeding because it can develop normally um, and sleep too. And so it seems to be protective for that through the lifespan. There's a study, Walls, I think 2014, that talked about that, how the kids that were done with tongue tie at birth, kids with a tongue tie that were not done at birth, and kids that were normal. And the kids three years later that were normal had the same speech outcomes as the kids that had their tongue tie released, which makes sense. You've yeah. the physical problem that was holding the tongue down. So, and then the two kids that with the tongue tie were not fixed at birth. Guess what? They had speech problems later on at three. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. Anyway. It's interesting. And I know we need so much more research in that space. And I think, you know, um, we're on the forefront of that of more being done. But no one wants to pay money for yeah. it. And it takes a lot of time. We're doing a study here in the office and it like, takes a lot of time. Uh, and like we have one person pretty much just doing research stuff. Yeah, like several days a week. That's all she's doing. Our tongue tie coordinator, Ashley. So, very cool. Well, I can't wait to see what, what you guys put out mm-hmm. down the road then from a research standpoint. Working and um, Working on it. Yeah, but it's a, it is a real issue. And I think that the hospitals, you know, are not helping. It's even even myself with my first one, when they brought lactation in to help with latching and everything, you know, when I saw a couple of different lactation specialists while I was still in the hospital um, with my first, nobody looked under her tongue. Nobody put their finger in her mouth. Yeah. Nobody checked for a tongue tie. With my second one, two and a half years later, same hospital. Um, they didn't look for it. But when I was, I was like, oh, same symptoms. This is familiar. And I was like, I'm not looking under her tongue for 24 hours. I'm going to live in bliss of pretending like my child does not have anything going on in there. Yeah. And tomorrow while I'm still in the hospital, I will look under her tongue. And sure enough, I went in there, I lifted it up and I was like, oh, there it is. And that's why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And at that point, the hospital was like, oh, oh, yes, yes, we agree with you. We do see a tongue tie if that's what you're seeing. And I'm like, would you like us to clip it for you? And then I should not have to be the one diagnosing my own child. We can clip it for you. We'll charge your medical insurance $1,200. That's what happened. So I didn't let them do it. $1,200 with a bill to insurance. I mean, and then okay. it often doesn't work because they do one clip and they don't get it all the way and they don't get the posterior mm-hmm. fascia. So. Yep. They were like, do you want our, our surgeon to, um, our doctor to do it for you while we're in the hospital? And I was like, no, thanks. I'm going to, I've already texted my guy. I'm going to him in three days. No. <laughs> like day five of this baby's life. She will be released yes. in his office. I'm good. Thank you. With Molly, who's uh, should be four months old on Saturday. We stopped on the way home. It was on day two. Mm-hmm. Before we even got home, we stopped at the office. The power was out. So we uh, had to get the battery back up off the computer, plug the laser into that. Um, oh and the chairs wouldn't go back because the power was out. So I did in the hygiene area and uh, <laughs> we did it. It took 20 seconds. She nursed right away, immediate difference. And she gained yeah. a pound the first week. You're a feeding person. So, a, so you didn't lose any weight. She gained a pound the first week, a pound the second week, a pound the third week, a pound the fourth week, a pound the fifth wow. week, and another pound the sixth week. So she actually wow. doubled her birth weight by two months. Um, Incredible. yes. So she's a chunky monkey and she's, I love it. And she sleeps well. And like, it's totally night and day different from our twins who we got clipped at two weeks old 
after a lactation consultant convinced us that tongue tie was a real thing, our pediatrician said, I don't see anything, but I can clip it anyway. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, let me let me un- let you under my child's tongue yeah, with I that kind of I don't see anything, a- but I'll clip it anyway if you really, if your lactation consultant wants me to. Um, and she was a great pediatrician. We loved her. Uh, yeah. But like, that doesn't give you much confidence, you know, when they say, I don't see it, but I'll do it anyways. Well, that. Guess what? It didn't work. So then we're like, okay, that uh, wasn't the problem. It was something else. Uh, but no, if it's been clipped before, it probably just wasn't done enough. So then so our rotation consultant, again, she was very persistent. She came to our house 10 times to help us out. We were yeah. like, really struggle with twins. And she said, no, you need to go to this dentist. He uses a laser. And he, like, most of the ones he does is redoing clips. I was like, oh, oh interesting. Okay. So we went to that. And then that's what set off this whole thing and the rabbit trail. So now it's five years yeah. ago. But. It's, it's the same story. That was my, I mean, my daughter was two years old, the first one when we finally did it, but she was the kid who has, to this day, has never been over 5% weight wise. She was failure. They put failure to thrive as a diagnostic code. And when I saw that in my app on my phone, I was like, as a new time, first time mom, I was like, oh, failure to thrive. Like, what does this mean? Mom guilt. It's like, Oh, I'm doing this to her. Oh yeah. I mean, her weight dropped. Um, she was born, I think she was six pounds, six ounces dropped to five pounds, nine ounces within a day and a half. Yeah. And the hospital was the pediatrician made us start coming in for weight checks, you know, the day after we got home because she just couldn't maintain her weight and she was feeding around the clock and like what I know now, <laughs> but my second one, we released her day five and she latched immediately. And I immediately felt the, felt yeah. the difference between, yeah. you know, pre-release latch and post-release latch. And she is a chunky monkey who eats everything. So yes, she's now 15 months old. It's been, and her speech is phenomenal. Yeah, it's so, crazy. Cause like those kids, yes, they're underweight. Like they'll live. I can, you know, we will compensate for them. That's yeah. the key. We don't want them just to be fine. Fine to me is a four letter word. Like someone says, he's fine. I'm like, okay, I guess what yeah. that really means. Like, yeah. oh yeah, he's he snores and like feeding is a struggle. It takes him an hour. And then my favorite's like, oh, you hear this all the time. Sure. Like, oh, he just eats slowly because he gets distracted. It's like, or he can't swallow <laughs> properly. So he just. And chewing is really hard for him. <laughs> yeah. So he just gets uh-huh. bored and looks around. It's like, it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. But yeah. yeah, people would just be like, okay, he's fine. Like, okay. We never push it. Mm-hmm. If they don't want to do it, whatever. Like, we never force anyone to do it. Yeah. They'd come to us. Hey, mom, this looks like it might be an issue. You're not having symptoms now. Let's just wait on it. And that's the same with babies, too. So, like, in the hospital, it probably shouldn't be done in the hospital too often, uh, especially if it's not yeah. done right. But you know, well, right. picture after picture here, we have probably 50 of them on my computer that have been clipped before. Uh, uh, and they just, we, we have them every day. So in the hospital, they should check for it. They should inform parents if it's there. Because if there's no nursing struggles, then there's nothing to do. But like, right. parents need to know, I go a brochure on it. It'll be fine. Here's the common symptoms. It's probably one in four babies, um, mm-hmm. or one in five, one in four babies. Who knows? If you're having these symptoms, then go see a provider that, that does this routinely, that's trained in it, and uh, get it taken care of. Don't suffer through it. Because we'll see the six-week, like you said, the six-month babies. And a six-month-old does not do as well as a six-week-old, does not do as well as a no. six-day-old. Um, well, when we tell them, we say, you know, the reflex, the swallowing reflex starts to integrate by like four months. And so what used to be automatic now becomes volitional. And so we get these babies who are now going from nursing only to now parents are trying to introduce solids around six months and their child is now having an issue swallowing liquids from a bottle, from the breast, from syringe, from, you know, supplemental nursing systems, everything, you know, they're not feeding well in general. And now we're trying to introduce solids and they're going, you know, this is, (laughs) I'm now living in a nightmare. Um, Well, yeah, they now have the opportunity to basically say, nope, not doing it. Um, Even though they're only six months old. So yeah. But anyways, I know, I know we could talk about this all day and I'm I'm watching the clock and I know you have to get back Yeah, yeah. Sooner the better. Uh, And uh, function and symptoms over appearance. So even if it looks like nothing, but they have all the symptoms, it's probably worth a try. 
And hopefully that message was, you know, made loud and clear through everything we talked about today. So um, thank you so, so much for being on. I'm so excited to get this all up and launched. And um, like I said earlier, when we were talking about the show notes, we'll make sure all of the research that we talked about, the, that PSQ as well, yeah. and anything else is um, easily accessible through the show notes. Um, and yeah, thank you so, so much. I hope you have an awesome afternoon of reading. And sure. Thank you. So good to see you. All right. Let's talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can also also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.